Easter to everyone. Uh, it is a, a not the best of days outdoors, uh, but it is a great day, and it is the Lord's Day. So we're glad you're with us today. It is the greatest day of the year, I believe, for Christians. And when we come to celebrate today, it's not what the world celebrates, not about chickens or eggs or uh, bunnies or chocolate, even though all those things are great, you know. Uh, we come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And you know, that's an amazing thing, and, and it's something that I think we talk about often, and yet for many people, it, it, they come at it from a different perspective. You know, some of us, including myself, grew up in a Christian home, never questioned that, never, never wrestled with that idea just by faith. I believe that would be, to be true. I know there are others who maybe uh, uh, are believers, and, and you, you accept that, but you've never really thought about it. You've never, you know, wrestled with any concept of, or conflict in your mind. But there are others that may be skeptics that have thought a lot about it. And in fact, the resurrection, I think, is one of those things that is like a stumbling block for some people. They, they can't get past that. They can't understand. How could a, a person who was dead for three days, you know, after you die, your body begins to decompose quickly, right? How could that happen and then come back to life after three days? That's a lot to think about. That's a big idea to wrap your mind around, and it takes some faith. But you know what? To be honest with you, faith is the first thing that God wants from us. It really is. If you think about it, there's things we can prove and some things we can't prove. But what God wants is He wants us to trust Him enough to believe the impossible because He said so, just because He said so. That's faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. In other words, to please God, we got to believe, we got to take a step of faith. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But first of all, this morning, we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about the practical reality of Jesus raising from the dead. And maybe you're here today and you're the type of person who, when you hear something that's hard to believe like that, you want some proof, you want some evidence. Heck, maybe you were born in Missouri. I don't know, you know, the, with the show me state. I don't know. Maybe that's what you say. I just need to know a little more information. I want to know for sure that this is true. And, and you have a little bit of doubt in your mind. But let me tell you, doubt has always been there. That has always existed. In Jesus' day, even before he died, there were skeptics that he was telling the truth about who he, who he said he was. He told them, I am the Son of God. And you know what they said in response? They said, prove it. Prove it to us. We don't believe that. He told them that he would prove it, and the proof of that would be Easter. Time after time, he said, the way I'm going to prove it to you is I'm going to die and come back to life again. So you see, the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate proof not only of Jesus' reliability, but maybe more importantly, of all the claims that he made to be, and that was the Son of God. Let me give an example of that in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, here's what it says, and some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You remember the story of Jonah. You learned that early uh, in childhood, probably if you went to church. Uh, Jonah was a prophet that God tried to send to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He went the other way. He ended up being thrown out of a ship in the middle of a storm and was swallowed by a fish. And for three days and three nights, he suffered there, and he was ready to get out and ready to go pre preach when he, when he was released. But everybody knew that story. 
And Jesus said, that's the sign you're going to get because I too will be in the belly of the earth. I'll be inside the heart of the earth. And in three days, I'll come forth. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus was talking to his disciples. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Now, you know, the disciples knew that he had some opposition, but I'm sure all of them were going, Jesus, that, that will never happen. Will never happen. We're not going to let that happen. And you're not going to die. And if you do, well, we don't believe probably you'll come back again. But Jesus made this incredible claim over and over again. The one sign that would prove his credibility was that he would die, come back to life on the third day. I mean, that's pretty specific. Nobody could make a claim like that and know for sure they were going to be able to make that happen, you know, except Jesus. And that's why we know that Easter is such a big, big deal. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it all on the line. You know, it's like he's playing uh, uh, poker or something. He slides all the chips to the middle, and he says, okay, here it is, guys. Here, it's all on the line. If there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrication if there's no resurrection. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. That's the truth, and that's what we believe. And you know, it's not just... A few of us, there are millions of people around the entire world who are today are celebrating Easter because they believe as well. All over the world in their own way, people are celebrating the day of resurrection. It's the world's largest faith system. So we believe that. But let me ask you, maybe you're here today and you've never given a lot of thought or maybe your thought has led you to the point of not being sure and you have some doubt in your mind. Could the resurrection be true? And if it is true, then that would swing everything in your life toward a relationship with Jesus. Like I said before, many of us take it by faith, but what's super cool is that we don't have to rely solely on the word of the Bible. Now, for most of us, the Bible's enough, and that's faith, but maybe you're a skeptic, and you're saying, well, what about other proof? You're proving the Bible by the Bible. How do you, how do you think that's fair? You know, I believe there are two types of skeptics in the world. There is an honest skeptic who really wants to know something and is willing to listen to process and to believe if they're convinced and they see evidence. And then there's what I would call a dishonest skeptic. And that's a sort of person that doesn't want the truth anyway. They don't want to know. And if you give them all the evidence and you answer all their arguments, they still won't accept it. I hope today, if you're a skeptic, that you're the honest skeptic. And you're honest enough to say, okay, show me the proof. Show me the evidence. Tell me the answers. Give me the theories and blow them, up, blow them up, and then I'll believe. And so that's what we're going to try to do today in a few moments. Because I believe it's important for us to know and to be educated about something this important. So let's look at some evidence that's out there, and let's see the proof of the resurrection. We're going to look at some things that people have questioned over time, and some things that everybody who has done so and been honest about it has agreed with. Here's one thing everyone agrees with, that Jesus Christ existed in time and history. There was a man named Jesus who lived about 2,000 years ago. Now, they may not believe he is who he says, but anyone who's honest and studies knows that Jesus lived, and not just from what the Bible says. 
In fact, there are secular historians of Jesus' day that talk about his life specifically. He made a big wave in his day. He led thousands of people out into the wilderness to, to, you know, to listen and preach, and he fed thousands of people, and he raised people from the dead. He did all these great things, and historians record that. Now, of course, the Bible has four books, four accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that do the, the same. But if you want uh, evidence beyond the Bible, it's out there. We also know that after a public ministry, that Jesus was sentenced to death by the Romans. History tells us that, that, uh, that the Romans had a method of, of death called crucifixion, and that Jesus was sentenced to death because of the influence of the Jews, and that he was crucified. We also know by secular historians, that on the third day after the crucifixion, his disciples made a big noise and claimed that they had seen him alive. Not just one or two of them, but in fact, hundreds of them had seen Jesus at one time. We also know that there was an empty tomb. The tomb was empty and the body had been there and then the body was gone. But we also know that beyond that, from that point, Christianity exploded it started with a handful of people with a few, then a few dozen, then hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands. By AD 310, there were 20 million believers, and today there are billions of Christians around the world. Now, maybe you haven't looked at all that information, but let me just tell you that anyone who is honest, anyone who has examined the facts agrees on these things. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what happened as a result of this? What caused Christianity to explode after that? Well, as Christians, we believe the answer is very simple. It is the resurrection of Christ. And the Bible records that. It tells us how it happened and, and the impact of that. But we also know that there are skeptics who can't believe that. And so there have been a lot of theories that have arisen throughout the years. There have been conspiracy theories to explain the resurrection away. You, you know, there are people out there who can't believe the truth. And so they're always looking for an alternative theory to, to support that, Right build elaborate theories to explain the obvious. And, and maybe you're one of those people, not, a, not a, conspiracy, a conspiracy theorist, but you're one of those people that just wonder, wonder. Maybe you're an honest skeptic and you want to be sure before you throw yourself totally in. Well, I want to take some time and look at some of the options and some of the alternatives to the resurrection. We believe the resurrection is true, but maybe there's a part of you that's always wondered about this little part or that little part. Let's take some time to talk about it. And let's look at some options. The first question that might arise about the resurrection, would it be possible that the disciples may have taken the body? Could the disciples have taken the body away? Some suggest that's what happened. They stole the body and then spread the idea that Jesus was alive. He had told people he would arise on the third day. And so to take the body would kind of keep the narrative going and, uh, and create the idea that he, uh, that he really was back alive when they would actually have the body. That would prove them right. They wouldn't look foolish. And what's interesting is that this is the story that the soldiers were asked to tell. In fact, in Matthew 28, it says, Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. This was the resurrection. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets back to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. In fact, I don't know exactly why, uh, how the Jewish people uh, explain the resurrection away, but this may well be their story. 
that the disciples took the body. Now, that may be a little bit plausible in some ways, but, but there's some major problems here to this theory. One of the biggest problems is the fact that there were 16 professional Roman guards on duty. Now, these were guys that had been, you know, trained and, and well-disciplined, serious guards. They would have had to have all been asleep at one point. And you know what the punishment for sleeping on guard was? Death. I got a feeling there were very few Roman guards who slept at any point when they were on guard. Another problem is the rolling away of a two-ton stone that takes several strong men to do so, and that makes a lot of noise grating along the track. But you know what the biggest problem is? The biggest problem is that 11 of the 12 who supposedly stole the body died martyr deaths for their story. They would not deny it. See, the resurrection is what particularly irked their enemies. It really just ticked them off, the whole idea that Jesus could possibly be alive again. And, and this really, you know, they, they would force them, you must deny the resurrection. And they would not deny that. To deny the resurrection would mean they could live, but holding on to their story would mean that they would die. I was reading this week that Chuck Colson, who was special counsel to President Nixon back during Watergate days, uh, he, he became a Christian in prison, by the way, and started a, a prison ministry there that still continues. Here's what he said, I know that the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they testified that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. And every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison, and 11 of the 12 were eventually martyred for this truth. They would not have endured it if it had not been true. Then he goes on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me the apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You see, the brave, they might possibly die for the truth, but no one would die for a lie. The disciples were not, were not perfect, but they did not steal this body, all right? Here's another theory. Did the Jewish or Roman authorities steal the body? You know, when an investigator looks at a case, they, have, they look for one thing. They look for motive. you got to have a motive to do anything, right? What, what would possibly be the motive of the Jewish or Roman leaders to steal the body? They were actually worried that someone would steal the body and claim resurrection. And remember, they went to Pilate, and they asked him to seal the tomb with his own seal and post a guard there, these Roman soldiers. Now, why were they so worried? Because Christianity threatened both Jewish authority and also Roman rule. And if they had had the body of Jesus, wouldn't they parade it through the streets to prove he was dead? They would never have hidden this evidence from anyone. Well, someone else asked, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. There was an empty tomb. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Could they have been so upset that they mistook an empty tomb for the one that Jesus was supposed to be in? Well, the problem with that is that someone would have quickly corrected them and the party would have been over. So this didn't happen either. The crucifixion was a big deal. Remember that the, the, the sky darkened. It was dark for three hours in the middle of the day. Remember that the, the veil in the temple ripped from top to bottom. Remember the dead people, the tombs broke open. The dead people got up and walked around. I mean, it was a big deal. And everybody connected it to Jesus' death that day. And the, you know what? The resurrection was even a bigger deal. I mean, it was the same weekend. It was three days apart. The people were still riled up about all of this. And whenever the tomb was found to be empty, I got a feeling that people wore a rut in the ground to go see this empty tomb. And no one could have confused where it was. 
Another theory, and, and probably the last one that I've ever heard, is that Jesus, maybe he didn't really die. And this has been around a long time. This is called the swoon theory, and it goes like this. It says, you know what, in spite of Jesus having been beaten nearly to death, in spite of him losing massive amounts of blood, in spite of him being uh, crucified, hanging on a cross for six hours in the sun, in spite of professional killers declaring him dead, in spite of a soldier thrusting a spear into the pericardium of his heart, in spite of him being taken off the cross dead, wrapped up as a mummy, and laid in a tomb for three days with no food or water or medical care, in spite of all of that, theory says, he wasn't really dead. He wasn't really dead. He just passed out. And then in, he revived in the cool tomb three days later, somehow rolled a two-ton stone away by himself, sneaked past 16 Roman guards, and then he was healthy enough to make a visible comeback and look like nothing had ever happened to him. I mean, I wonder why that's a theory, to be honest with you. You have to have more faith to believe something like that than just the resurrection. And that's where we're left, to be honest with you. The resurrection is the only option that really is left to believe. So why is it so hard for us to accept the resurrection? Why? Because dead people don't come back to life again. And that's exactly how we know that this is real. Because you can't make this kind of stuff up, guys. You can't make it up. No one would think of this and start to try to make it up. One theologian wrote about the early Christians. He said the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the sightings of the risen Lord in order to explain a faith that they already had. They developed that faith because of what they saw, what they experienced, because they didn't think what they didn't think was going to happen or could happen actually happened. And that's what made them willing to die for what they believed. And that's what propelled Christianity into the world, number one world religion today. Because the reality is, is on that Easter morning, almost 2,000 years ago, a man who was very much dead was alone in a tomb when the power of God brought him back to life again, just like he has predicted many times the claims he made. And you know what? That's the kind of God that I want to trust with my own life and my own death, because it's going to happen to every one of us. Every one of us. You know, it's kind of ironic that on the day that I was writing this message, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Stephen Hawkins died. And you probably know who he was. He was um, a theoretical physicist, which means that uh, though, though he was seemingly brilliant, that most of his theories were not proven to be true because you can't always prove a theory. They were about black holes and time and beginning of time and everything. But he also did not believe in God. In fact, there was a very famous quote he made, there is no God. No one created the universe. No one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there's probably no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe. So he lived his life saying there is no God. But what I thought was really ironic, and maybe you read this, is that uh, he could not escape the truth because his funeral was in a church in England, and this scripture was read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I thought that was so ironic that the last words established God's power and authority, that God is real, God is true. 
And here's a great thing is that you and I, you can brag about this, you can be wiser than a theoretical physicist. You can. You just accept the truth about Jesus. That is the wisest thing that you can do. That he was, that he is the Son of God. That he lived a perfect life. That he died a voluntarily sacrificial death as a substitute and payment for our sins. That he proved all of his claims by being raised from the dead, and that now he is in heaven preparing a place for those who commit their lives to him. You can believe that he is the Lord. You can repent of your sins, confess him as Lord and Savior, and be baptized as he commanded. Because you see, baptism has this incredible connection to the resurrection. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 3. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. The water is not going to just take away dirt on your body. It's not designed for that. It's designed to connect us to the resurrection of Christ, to remind us that Jesus died. He was buried in the grave and he rose again. And that's experienced in baptism. In just a few moments, you're going to see that actually literally take, take place. When a person dies to themselves, when they are buried under the water and they come up to live a new life, born again, a spiritual life. That's the beauty of baptism. And you know, like Jake said a few moments ago, we, we, we believe that this is an awesome day for you to make that decision. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Some, some people have shared with me, I've been thinking about it the last few weeks as we went through the last word series of Jesus, his words on the cross. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time, and you always said, one day, I'm going to do that one day. Well, let me tell you, today is one day. Today is a great day. And maybe you say, well, I didn't plan today. I want to plan this. You know what? If we wait till we plan something, some things never happen. And so we always say, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that. So I want to encourage you for today to be the day, the one day that you just respond, that you unprompted. In the Bible, when people heard about Jesus and they believed, they repented in their heart, they were willing to confess him, and they were baptized immediately that same day, that very hour. And that's what we're challenging you to do today if you've never been obedient in this way. Because Jesus modeled it, he commanded it, and he told the church to do it, and we are faithful today in doing so. And we would love to do that. You say, I'm not, I don't have anything with me. We have everything for you. We have shorts, we have shirts, we have a hairdryer, whatever you need, towels. It's all ready. We just want you and your willingness. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a word of prayer just to close us out. I'm just going to walk out, and I, we've got others that are going to be joining me. I want to challenge you to take a big one step. Just the first step's the hardest. Once you get out and start moving, it's so easy to walk back. And you can be obedient today. It is just that simple because it is just that important. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, what, a, what an awesome day. God, to be, see the beauty of Christ in, in all of his glory, to see you high and lifted up, Lord, to be able to worship you and to, to sing of your power and mighty, God, for our hearts to be stirred and moved. God, for us to see the evidence of the resurrection, your word that is so clear, to take that as by faith, but also to understand that no one's ever been able to refute the truth that Jesus returned to life. And if that is true, and we believe it is, then that changes everything. And that puts us in a place where we are bound to fall up on our knees and worship you. 
because you are the God and Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, my prayer is that right now, I know there are hearts that are in conflict. There are people that know they should do, uh, make a move to be obedient in baptism. There, there are people who are pushing back. God, you would help us drop all of our resistance and just be obedient to you, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.